Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, North City Church. Welcome to our online worship gathering. Um, Thanks for joining us. If you're new for the first time, Um, A special welcome to you. I'm Pastor Christian Ann, and North City exists to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. Um, So we're glad that you can join us in how we're seeking to do that together through worship this morning. Um, Happy Mother's Day! Yes, to all the moms out there. Those of you who can't see, I am totally eight months pregnant. Um, So from one mama to the rest, um, here's to you for figuring out what it means to parent in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, When did you ever think that you'd be saying that? (laughs) Um, Just so you know, for those of you who are like, oh, is this going to be a Mother's Day sermon? Um, No, it's not. It's it's not just relevant to moms who are listening. Uh, As I was praying about this message and asking what God wanted us to share, um, I just really felt the overwhelming sense that this message is for everyone, Uh, every person, not just within North City. Um, And today we're speaking from Romans 12. And yet, I think moms might be listening to this a little differently um, and might apply to them uh, uniquely. So I I invite all ears to listen this morning and to let the Holy Spirit uh, speak to you uniquely about uh, what God is trying to tell you. So I want you to think about uh, story time with your family. When would your family tell stories? Would it be around the table? Would it be at bedtime? Um, I remember always wanting to hear the same stories about my family, about my parents in particular. Like I'd always say, remember that one mom where you do this or that one dad? Uh, And we are totally in that stage. So I'm not only pregnant, but I have two kiddos. Uh, Rosie's four and she's just super curious about, um, you know, stories when I was growing up. And her top two are the story when you broke your leg. That one definitely gets the most requests. And then the second one is story when you drove the car. One story is uh, when I was a victim of a mean neighborhood kid, the broken leg one. And the other story is of my endless curiosity because I was a very curious child. Um, But it was actually like utter disobedience, complete disobedience. So I don't know what compelled me to tell this story in the first place. Uh, I don't want to encourage this behavior. But uh, just write in the comments. I'd love to hear when would your family tell stories? Um, And are there any sort of famous ones that your family loves to tell about you? So feel free to write that in the comments. We'd love for interaction um, with each other online during this time. So I'm going to lay out my cards about the, the, the second story, the one where I drove the car. And um, I was about five, maybe six. My family gets a new car. Ooh, it's a Ford Escort. Station wagon, silver, brand new. 
and uh, I loved cars as a kid. There was something about them that um, intrigued me, and um, so I would, you know, I loved that this was a new thing. That was another one of my things. I loved newy things, as I said, um, and I was curious. So one day, one afternoon, I go out to the car and I want to sit in it and it's unlocked. <laughs> we lived in California and our garage had then a driveway which then went into the street um, and that's kind of how our, our street was set up. So I'm sitting in the car, the car is sitting in the driveway and start pushing all the things, right? Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden the car starts moving. Yes, I freak out. I decide to get out of the car and go towards the back of the car like I'm going to stop it. Bad idea, I realize, and thank the Lord I um, moved out of the way because, of course, the car, it was on a slope on the, on the driveway, so then it started to roll back into the street, into the neighbor's driveway, and then back into the street did this sort of like until it stopped. I don't know what I pushed, but at this point I knew I was in big trouble. I was totally scared of what my parents were going to say, but I also had had to tell them that the car was in the driveway, or not in the driveway. (laughs) So I go in and I can barely speak, and they say, "Uh, I, uh, I didn't push any buttons, which is somewhat true because I think I just pulled the e-brake lever <laughs> or the shifter. It was a manual. Anyway, yes, of course, I get punished. Um, complete disobedience. I think this is the one time my stepdad, stepdad spanked me. Um, but then I remember having this conversation with my parents afterwards, and they they said something like, you know, what, that, that really scared us. Uh, even though you did something wrong, we want you to know we still love you, but we're just really scared that you could have gotten hurt. You didn't listen to us. Um, and I always end the story like that. Like, you know, even though mommy chose to do something wrong, do you think her mom and her dad still loved her? And Rosie says, yes. You know, she kind of knows that's the right answer, but yes. And I think we all have this question as kids, and even now. Like, even if I do something wrong, do you still love me? And the story, amidst maybe others that you can think of, it, it exemplifies that even in the midst of wrongdoing, love and mercy can still exist. And so here's the deal at North City Church. We are starting a new series today on the Book of Romans. And J.D. and I decided to start this at chapter 12, which is towards the middle or end of the book, which is a strange decision. But it's because of this very first verse in, in chapter 12, which starts off with, therefore, in view of God's mercy, live your lives in this way. And we're not trying to change the order of Romans. Paul, the author, was very meticulous in what he wanted to communicate about the gospel to the people of Rome and what he wanted to be first, second, third, etc. Um, but I'm asking you to think of this sermon like a book jacket. 
um, you know, look, look at these book jackets. They try to paint a picture of what this, you know, this book is going to be about. And on the inside, if you were to take the book jacket off, you wouldn't really know. And so I want you to think about this particular sermon like a book jacket, wrapping the book of Romans as a framework, as a way of understanding who God is and what the gospel is about. And then I want to say it's wrapped in God's mercy. Um, and because JD tends to be the one who likes getting into the nitty gritty of theology, anthropology, I mean, this, this is going to be one of his favorite books to preach on. Um, he loves explaining those things. He's the one who helps us think about these things. We always joke that, like, he's the one that helps us with our mind, and I'm the one that helps guide us with our heart. Um, and he's going to be introducing the books very fully, very, you know, um, he's going to answer all your questions about Romans. No, I won't. <laughs> I won't overpromise that. But he's going to help us wrap our minds around it. But this morning, I want us to help. I want to help us wrap our hearts around what Romans is trying to communicate with us about what the gospel is. And this book is big. As you read through it in the coming weeks, um, it might feel kind of heavy. Uh, you'll read big words like justification and God's wrath and circumcision and um, about dead people like Abraham and Pharaoh. And over the years, the Romans... The book of Romans has been used to explain really heavy theological things. Um, and it's also been used to invite people into the gospel, into a relationship with Jesus. It's also been used to keep people out of a relationship with Jesus, out of the church. And so today we're saying, what if we wrap this book? And what I believe God's intention is for this book which is his mercy. The question I want you to hold with me this morning is, is your life transformed by God's mercy? Is your life transformed by God's mercy? So we're going to be, as I said, reading in Romans 12, starting in verse 1. We're really only going to get into the first three verses. And I, I would recommend um, obviously going beyond that this week and just dwelling in Romans 12 as a framework for, for understanding Romans. I'm going to read it in two di different versions, one in the NIV and one in the message, starting in the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. All right, hold on to that. I'm going to read it in the message version. It's a little bit longer. There's a lot packed in that scripture. 
So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. So let's dig into this concept of mercy. What is mercy? Now, whenever you hear the word therefore, I don't know if any of you remember back to your Sunday school days or your Awana days. That's digging deep into like evangelical Christian culture right there. Um, or maybe your, your Bible school days. I, I was always told you should know what the therefore is there for. We're going to do that. <laughs> Please put any comments about you know what you remember about the therefore, therefores, or any other helpful tips for Bible reading in the comment stream. So... The therefore is because Paul has taken the first 11 chapters, specifically chapters 1 through 3 and, and through 5 as well, to outline the gospel. And so I'm just going to highlight a couple things that he's, he's trying to reference that is in the back of the minds of the people who are listening to this letter being shared. Like in 310, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous no one is, another way to think of that word righteous is right before God. There's no one who is right before God. No, not one. 5.8. While we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us in that Christ died for us. And remember, he's, he's writing to Gentiles and Jews. And specifically, he talks about the Jewish people um, in the last couple chapters leading up to this one. And in chapter 11, he outlines how Israel constantly chose earning God's approval through upholding the laws rather than receiving God's goodness, grace, and forgiveness. And I think what I hear in Paul sort of bringing out the, the gospel, and, and I look forward to reading this with you in the coming weeks, is this human instinct to act like we don't need God's mercy. The human instinct that we don't need God's mercy. We don't need mercy in general. And we try to live these lives that prove to God that we don't need him. Despite what we know, despite what we might have already received about the gospel, despite how we've already come into a relationship with Jesus, which many of these people and these listeners had, but we still don't 
hold on to the piece of mercy that we need. But here, this is years and years of the Israelites leading up to this point, for example, not really owning their need for a savior um, because they tried to achieve that place with God through their laws. But the gospel, the good news, is that we don't have to prove anything, right? When we mess up and that, that we are broken and that we are unfinished and we sin and we make mistakes and that Christ got, died to give us life. And that is the truth about what, who we are as humans. The good news is about receiving, receiving this mercy, not doing to earn the mercy, right? Doing, performing, proving. But how often do we still function like that? It's receiving the mercy that God has so that we can be in right relationship with him. I just want to get into the, the words that are used, not only in the New Testament, but the Old Testament about mercy. Um, often the word chesed is used, which is loving kindness, forgiveness, this covenant committed relationship that God had this type of mercy and forgiveness towards his people, um, no matter what they did. He said, I'm here. This was specifically to the Israelites kind of throughout the Old Testament. I'm here no matter how bad you mess up. I'm committed to you. I'm with you in your life and I love you. My relationship might be one way sometimes, but that's what it means to have chesed, mercy, and relationship and love towards these, these people that God had towards his people. The other word that's often used is rakem. Um, and the root word is very similar to the word womb, like basically the same in Hebrew. And it's where um, it's often translated mercy or compassion. And it's to give this word picture that the like the way a mother would have compassion and relate to her newborn child that no matter how hard they cry or the way that the the mother wants to serve uh, her baby like that closeness that that within her type of relationship that that newborn had and then now is on the outside that that orientation that compassion and love and relationship orientation that closeness is what that word rakem is trying to to have to have mercy towards that child that that mother would do anything to make sure that those that child's needs are being met that's the type of closeness and relationship that god wants to have with us because of god's mercy because of his compassion towards us but how often do we really relate with God that way, in that covenant committed relationship type way, in that compassion, you know, closeness type of way described by these word pictures of mercy? So I want you to fill in this blank, and you can either put this in the comments or you can write this down on a piece of paper. If you were to look at your life, are you living in response to God's mercy or something else? So fill in this blank. In view of God's mercy, what? You live your life. 
in view, instead of in view of God's mercy, in view of God's blank, disappointment, distance, in view of his judgment towards you, in view of maybe God's apathy towards you. What are we putting in place of God's mercy? And I think, you know, this is as a mom, <laughs> I'm not that merciful towards myself. I am not the one to put God's mercy first in how I view myself and how I think I'm parenting my kids. I put a lot of those other words in place there. So I just want to leave that with the other moms that are listening to this. Because the power of the gospel, God chooses the power, the saving power of his gospel and of our salvation to be his mercy, not his judgment, not his condemnation. And that's why it says in John 3, 16 and 17, for God did not send his son to condemn this world, but that we might be saved through him. And that's why I love um, the message version of this is that it's about us embracing what God does for us and that being the best thing that we can do for God. I love that because the need for God's mercy is this great equalizer. I think to be human is to need mercy and forgiveness. And there is no shame in that. I think the sooner we can come to peace with that, the sooner we can be in this right relationship with God and ourselves and others is this need for mercy and forgiveness, not this working our way out of needing that mercy or forgiveness. So secondly, as it says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will. His good and pleasing and perfect will, as it says. Or in the message version, it says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that, you know, you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Unlike the culture around you that's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity. I think it's pretty safe to say that the world takes a very anti-merciful approach. And the people who, uh, in the context that Paul was writing to, was Rome. Couldn't think of a more anti-merciful. Um, I, I think they, they prided themselves on being fair, but the way that they achieved that fairness and the way that they achieved that peace in the Mediterranean world was through conquering and death. Um, was not through forgiveness. was through power, powering over rather than serving. Um, that was their version of justice, and they would do anything to accomplish the mission of this government. And so as we look that from verse 1, <clears throat> receiving God's mercy, we see this flow from mercy into worship. This is our true and proper worship that our, we would offer ourselves to God. It's not conforming. It's not succumbing to the immaturity of this world. It's choosing a life of worship. And I see these, these two things kind of set up against each other. Self-centeredness as the crux of not needing mercy and worship. Worship is this conscious focus on God. 
And self-centeredness is a conscious focus on self. Um, I think of all the Zoom calls right now as sort of a little trivial example of this, but, you know, do we really have to have a, a camera looking and a little image of ourselves of how we look during the entire Zoom call? You know, have you ever noticed that most people are actually looking at themselves <laughs> during the whole Zoom call? Um, and it's just a strange phenomenon that we are these like completely conscious of ourselves and we have to hold that while trying to listen to everybody else while trying to be you know present on this call like I just want to shut off my video <laughs> so chat chat stream chat um, on a scale to one to ten I'm actually very curious where are you at like how much do you appreciate zoom calls right now um, on a scale to one like not at all and a scale to ten um, totally pro zoom calls I'm loving them but I just think, like, despite, like, I want to know what you think about that, but that whole always looking at yourself thing on the video is a strange thing. I don't think it's helping that self-centeredness um, in all of us. So I also want to call out one of the main ways that we are doing this in our culture right now, that self-centeredness is, is playing out. And I think it's playing out through fear. Fear. And you might think, how is that connected to self-centeredness? Well, fear leads to anxiety, to needing to numb that fear um, be because of the pain or uncertainty. Um, fear in needing to always do the right thing and never mess up, uh, that sort of law-keeping mentality. And those are all self-preservation things. And, you know... We might just feel trapped in that. I'm not even saying that that's all conscious. But we get trapped in this self-preservation, self-orientation to protect ourselves that fear causes us to cope in these unhealthy ways. Um, having fear is, is a part of life, but what do we do with that? And right now, I think I've heard a lot of people ask this question of, okay, like in the midst of fear, in the midst of pandemic, how do I have this balanced life? Like how do I hold it all together right now? So I want to actually draw this out for you. How do I have this balanced life? <laughs> and I picture us doing this. This is us, and we have so many things that we're trying to balance. We're trying to eat well, um, we're trying to keep you know, care of our family, keep tabs of our family. Um, we're trying to cultivate a relationship with God and other friends. Um, we are trying to exercise. I mean, we're thinking about finances. There's so many things, right? <laughs> Maybe you have a pet. Oh man, the dogs in this stage of life, they, they either get in the good end of the stick or the bad end of the stick. But, you know, there's lots of other things that we can try to hold and keep in balance to make sure that it's sort of equal proportion in all of these things. Or, I think the other approach is to have a sense of centeredness. 
And you see how this is us. The crux of balance is how well we hold all these things together. The center of being centered is Christ. And when we center our lives on him, we can come back to center as, as far as we might go out, as far as our, our fear might really bring us to some hard, rough places, right? But what if we come back to center? And we might, you know, then cope in these other unhealthy ways, but we can always come back to Christ. And it's, it's a centeredness on him. You know, we're the ones way out here. But then we have the opportunity to come back to Jesus in our worship when our lives are not about us we're allowed to stay centered rather than trying to hold everything all together and keep it in balance so that's just one way to to think about that and it's a difference between <clears throat> doing all the right things and being self-oriented in worship. So the difference with this self-orientation and fear that we get caught up and worship is that worship centers us. Centers us on who God is and who we are. Uh, God's character, God's story, the role that we play in God's story. It's an opportunity for us to remember and reflect on God's mercy and goodness that God is in control in this time and so lastly as I close let's look at verse 3 the thing that I hope that we can remember today is that the Christian life following Jesus is a response to God's mercy Paul focuses on this gratitude in his life. Uh, the grace is just evident in this verse. And the rest of the chapter is um, a really practical way of describing the unity that Paul hopes for in the church. You know, despite the Jews and the Gentiles um, and the differences that they have, how we can live out the gospel, how we can live out our salvation in unity, working together, sort of serve and, and do it in these types of ways. But Paul doesn't want us to miss this. That mission flows out of grace, not the other way around. Mission flows out of God's grace. We're not trying to prove ourselves. Service flows out of gratitude of who God is, of what God has done, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. As the message puts it in verse 3, live in pure grace. It's important that you don't misunderstand misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and what God does for us, not what we are and what we do for him. So my hope in this time, North City Church, is that out of this starting place of mercy that we just develop these really grateful hearts that we look back on this time and maybe we're not, not going to feel grateful for it but we're going to see what God did and how God never left us 
which compels us towards a life of mission and purpose. As a church, our mission isn't just to love our neighbors. It's to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. It's to love our neighbors because of Jesus, of how we were first loved. And so as we go into our time of worship, I invite you into this time to reflect. What are the ways that you need to receive God's mercy today? His forgiveness. That you can be transparent with him about who you are right now. Because remember, being human is that need for mercy. And so as we sing this song, it is called Mercy. (laughs) But it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. You delight God in showing your mercy. It's not a burden for him. He wants to show us his mercy. Can we receive it, church? Can that be our starting point of the gospel, not judgment and all the things that we've, you know, we want to put on other people, but mercy to receive this from him. And I invite you to thank God for the closeness made possible in relationship through Jesus as that picture of mercy in the womb and compassion gives us in that word. And to ask God out of gratitude, how can I respond to you in this time? What are the things that you're calling me to focus on from a place of grace? So I want to read and close us uh, with reading this in the message for one last time as we get sent into worship together. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, your quarantine life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Start with mercy. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relationship to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. This own, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. 
and may he give you the courage to respond. Amen.